Hi there, and thanks for joining us. On this week's podcast, we look at the company that wants to use green technology to save you money. Hear how UCC is dumping plastic on campus in a good way. And the biggest issue facing companies and their employees, housing. I'm Jonathan Healy, and this is Red Business. Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast. Now, how effective is your home heating system or indeed the heating system in your office? Are you too hot? Are you too cold? Are you forever giving out about it? Well, my next guest is on a mission to make that right. He is uh, with a company that is specialising in both home and commercial heating systems and new and innovative ways to make them not just more efficient, but also cheaper. Patrick Hogan is with Energy Awareness and indeed Seabox Energy Commercial. Patrick, you're very welcome to Red Business. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Jonathan. How are you? Very well. Um, this has been a, a bit of a journey for your yes. company. Uh, tell us a little bit about the commercial side of it, first of all, and Seabox Energy. So we, we, with Seabox Commercial, we, which we launch in, uh, on the 20th of November, uh, we launch at Data Centres Ireland. Um, we, our, our mentality behind that is to provide both retrofitable commercial heating systems and energy systems, and also as well, uh, an offsite constructed intermodal commercial heating system, which is basically easiest way to describe it, is a container with a heating system designed in a box that can be put onto a site and installed super quick. So it arrives in the back of a lorry, basically, yes. But it is designed specifically for the site in yes. question. Now, th- sound lo- lots of big words. What's the net effect of all of that? Uh, savings, say savings, uh, energy efficiencies, more controls. Uh, all these words probably mean you've probably heard a million times before, but our system with our patented energy zone inside in it allows it all to work together. You mentioned the patented thing and this is where the cork element comes yes. into it. So this is a part of a bigger company. Seabox is an international company, but the the energy zone that you talk about, that was designed here in Cork. Yes, it was. It was designed by David Ray. Um, he designed the energy zone uh, with the SEI um, uh, and uh, it is now in the market three years. We took over the company last year um, and it's uh, going from strength to strength. And also as well, to, we, we have our first two installs in the US at the moment as well. Okay, so you've already expanded yes. overseas. Tell me a little bit about the success stories that you've had in reducing heating costs. Oh, the, the couple that come to mind, we've had uh, 40% savings for a big box uh, grocery chain um, They within the first year, so two and a half year payback. Uh, we've also had uh, hospitals, which were, which are old buildings. They they haven't had upgrades in years, but our system can be retrofitted to any building. Um, you're not going to get the similar savings in the sense of of the uh, of the efficiency of an A1 rated building, but you are going to get the efficiencies uh, still in your current system. Look, the big challenge for everybody is getting it right. Yes, and there's very few out there that can successfully say, well, we have this right. Yes. Um, uh, is technology improving that? Technology is definitely improving that. And you, like from your own house, we have smart controls uh, along with then also as well, you have your, 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 your system will think. So if you have a heat pump and you, you need and you have a boiler together, then your system will be able to tell which is needed at which time. So a, a technology has changed 
everything in the industry and it's going to change it even more. Yeah, and and like that's where your company comes in yes. um, and these patents that are out there. Look, you design it. Uh, it's plumbers who install it yes. at the end of the day. Yes. So is there a big link up there? Yeah, no, we, we work well with any plumber. Um, we, we have numerous plumbers that work with us day in, day out. We also then uh, uh, work with, you know, let's say, the commercial businesses plumber or else a domestic customers plumber. We will help them throughout the way with the electrical schematics and mechanical schematics. When you look at this commercial side of the business, uh, there's obviously always going to be big buildings yes. uh, that need to be heated. Yes. On the domestic side of it, is there a potential for big growth there as well? Yeah, there, there, there's, there, there is a big growth uh, in domestic. Um, I, I'm a big, I have a big opinion on, on not putting a heating system into every house uh, using district heating, which is one uh, less of a fire risk in, in your house, but also as well, it, it can be... Um, a pension fund uh, going down the line as well or even pay for the community uh, grass to be cut or anything like that. Look, wh- when we when we look at all of this, it, the question will be how do we move away from burning dead dinosaurs to yes. having um, an environmentally friendly way of doing it? How far are we away from moving away from the dead dinosaurs? Uh, I, 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 th- I think it's, it, it, it's going to be a couple of years. Um, there's a new support scheme for renewable heating uh, launching very, very soon from the SEI um, that is going to help business and, uh, and has already helped um, domestic houses. Um, but there, there is a fair bit to go. Um, look, we mentioned the two brands at the start, Seabox Energy yeah. Commercial and Energy Awareness. People be a little bit more familiar if they're listening to Red FM for Energy Awareness because yeah. there's been a big campaign over yes. the last few weeks. Tell us a little bit about the Christmas appeal and who you're trying to help. We're, we're, we're basically filling our intermodal commercial heating system, which we're rebranding as the food energy container uh, for Christmas for three local Cork charities. So we're we're doing it for Feed Cork, Penny Dinners and the Chocolate Box Appeal. So three local Cork charities. So how big is the box and what are you trying to put so in it? So it's a 20-foot container. Uh, it's it a opens, big box. Yeah, it's a big box. It's a big box. We can we can fill it. If we can fill it, it's going to really help people at Cork. Um, you can, non-perishable goods, chocolate as uh, obviously, um, toilet paper, any anything at all you want to bring. Um to, to the box we will have collection points as well so Red FM is our collection point uh, the squad in Tremor Road the gym and also as well the uh, Billy Mackesy's shop in Douglas OK so in other words and they're all listed uh, by the way on, yeah, on the website on, yeah. which is which is energyawareness Okay, very good. Well, look, best of luck with filling the box. And uh, that will continue over the next while. And Red FM will have more details on that as well uh, over the course of the campaign. Uh, But for people who are interested in either domestic or the commercial product, what's the website they need to visit? So so either website we'll we'll do, we'll bring it to the same place. So energyawareness.ie and seaboxenergy.com. Okay, Patrick Hogan, uh, Managing Director of Energy Awareness and Seabox Energy. Thank you very much for joining us on Red Business. Red Business. All that's best about business in Cork. One of the big things that is dominating the news cycle at the moment is paper cups and how many of them are in use in this country and how many you may have used already today, whether or not they're biodegradable, whether they're going to sit somewhere for the next couple of hundred years wasting away when you could have used an alternative. Well, one institution that is making big inroads in that regard and in other ways of sustainability is University College Cork and with me now to talk about all of that is the Sustainability Officer with UCC Maria Curran. Uh, Maria, how are you? 
I'm good. I'm a little bit soaked because it's horrible outside. It is a very wet day, but someone could be listening to this and the sun could be shining because of the podcast world. So it is wet today, hopefully not wet when you're listening to this. The cup, the humble cup. The humble cup. You've made big changes in UCC. We have, yes. Um, So really this comes from our Green Campus initiative, which has been going on in UCC for 11 years now. Um, and we've concentrated on different environmental aspects over different years. So we've looked at waste, transport, energy use. Um, and last year, we really started to look at the, the amount of waste that we're producing and our behaviours, I suppose, with single use items, you know, and how we as consumers now have become so used to picking something up using it once and throwing it away. And we don't think about the energy or the materials that went into that one product, um, the whole life cycle of that item that we use for maybe five minutes. See, people were a bit silly, um, me included, and thought that these cups could be recycled. Mm. But only part of them could be recycled and a large part of it couldn't be and it was impossible to separate the two of them out. Yes, yeah, it's a composite material so there is paper and plastic in there and you can't, well, I guess it probably is possible to separate them but, you know. It's a lot of effort. Exactly, yeah. So what have you done uh, to try and rid the campus of the dreaded plastic composite cup? So, it began last September. We took a big stand in our library, um, which would be, kind of, I suppose, the building in UCC that would have the most number of people entering it every day. Um, well, and we can comp- particularly at exam time. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose every single person entering UCC on their first day of college would go into the library. You'd get a tour of it. So we took that as our our big building that we were going to say, right, we're going to do something. You know, this is going to be a step change, and we banned disposable cups from there, and we put massive big posters outside saying, sorry, disposable cups, it's over. You know, we are breaking up with single use. Um, and we also talked to our uh, our um, catering service provider and we got a, we negotiated a 10 cent discount if you brought a reusable cup. Um, so we kind of had the carrot and stick approach that, you know, we were telling students that they couldn't bring a disposable cup into the library anymore. But hey, if you get a reusable cup, your coffee's going to be cheaper. So that started last year and it really kind of gained momentum. And I think that was in September. And by October, then the Blue Planet series had come out and we had David Attenborough looking at all the plastics in the oceans and people really started to think about plastics. Um, And we kind of thought, right, what's our next step? So our next approach was to look at one cafe in UCC and say, can we actually go completely single use free in this cafe? And that's what we did this year. So again, working together with our service providers with KSG, um, who do our catering service in UCC, working with our procurement office, with our restaurant committee, with the staff in the restaurant itself, um, we launched the Bio Green Cafe, which is single use plastic free. Mm. Um, It's a small cafe, um, but it's a demonstration really that we can you can actually do this, you know. See, and and again, I've a bit of experience of this having been up on campus mm. and uh, I was going in and y- you can still get a single-use biodegradable cup. So yes. it will biodegrade, but you have to pay extra for it. Yes. So, um, and again, I was kind of grumbling and mumbling about this. And then lo and behold, I got a lovely keep cup from the good people here at Red FM. Excellent. And I started using that. And all of a sudden, I'm using that all the time now. And it's coming in the car with me. And when I'm going to get the petrol station cup of tea, I'm bringing in the reusable cup. Now, they Mm -hmm. don't give me the discount, but I've reduced 
my use of single-use cups by 100%. Yeah, that's amazing. And that's exactly what we want, that it becomes a habit. Um, see, and don't forget, the I'll Keep Cup is a bit bigger as well. So you get a bit more tea for it. You see, that that I'm that business sense is there. Not for me, <laughs> not for the provider. And I think the coffee and tea taste nicer out of it as well. I genuinely Absolutely. think it does. We got um, bamboo cups. Uh, so they don't even have that plastic taste on them at all. And um, that's what we gave out in UCC. So there's a lot of different types of cups out there as well. What was the reaction from the business community? So you talked about the service provider, the, the, the I think KSG, yes, who do a great yeah, job, yeah. Uh, completely different from what it was like when I was in college yeah. 200 years ago. Um, they're really, really top class stuff. What was the reaction like there? Because presumably they were going, well, hang on a second, we sell an awful lot of cups of tea and cups of coffee mm. and what happens if we're making it less convenient for people? Will there be pushback? Um, I think the business community are starting to see that sustainability is an important aspect of everything that we do now and that consumers are looking for more sustainable choices when they're shopping. Um, we have built a very good relationship with KSG so we have a farm to fork initiative with them as well. So um, most there's a meat free day in, in the main. There's one day, yeah, yeah, which I think um, a few people phoned your, this radio station to uh, to air their frustrations about. Um, yeah, and so most a lot of the root vegetables that are served in UCC are grown on a local farm here in Curraheen, actually. Um, so but we've that, a number of different initiatives again, with them. The meat free Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I went in there, I was kind of going, "All right, okay, I'll have to come up with Plan B." But I came up. I didn't go hungry. Oh no, you won't. No, and it's only one. It's only one of the restaurants on campus, so there are other options. And what I always say to people. You know, you do get a reaction of, you You know, you shouldn't tell me what I can eat. You know, there's two words, meat free Monday. It's one day a week. We're just saying if you make this, we're not saying that anyone should be a vegetarian or a vegan. Um, we And we're not even saying that you have to go meat free on Monday. We're promoting it. We're encouraging people to look at how much meat they consume mm-hmm. and consider that maybe I could go without meat one day a So week. it's all subtle behavioural changes really Maria. Uh, do you think that you will get to that goal of being plastic free, single use plastic free it's, soon enough? Yeah I mean it'll be a long road. Um, so our students union just launched a petition to make UCC plastic free by, well, single use plastic free by 2023. Um, we are very, we're very serious about things that we take on mm. and we don't want to be tokenistic. But hang on a second, can I so, just, can I give you a good example of how this can be done? All of a sudden they started charging us 15 cent or 12 cent as it was at the time for a plastic bag. Yes. And yeah. within weeks, nobody was using plastic bags anymore. Yeah. So therefore, there is precedent to this. Oh, absolutely. And as long as you can get buy-in from the community at UCC, you'll get buy-in from the community elsewhere and around. And it might happen even before 2023. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it could if it's done well and if we really assess what are the big plastics that we're using in UCC and what are the plastics that we can do without. Um, You know, obviously research is a key component of what we do and there's a lot of plastics coming into labs that researchers need to use. So we then need to look at those and we need to find alternatives or we need to go out to the market and say an alternative is needed here. So we need to be smart about how we do it. Um, But absolutely, I mean, we have other businesses already coming in and looking at our cafe and seeing how we did that. 
Um, and the coffee and tea are still as good before as they exactly were before. The no same. change. Yeah. Maria yeah. Karen, sustainability officer at University College Cork. I wish you the very best. Look, thank, thank you. you so much for joining us. Thanks. The only show in town for Cork business. Red business. One of the big challenges facing Ireland right now and Cork as much as anywhere else is housing and where people are going to live as businesses grow, as the economy grows and as hopefully it continues in that vein over the course of the next few years. My next guest is someone who has a salutary lesson in how to do it right. Emma Lane Spollen is the CEO of the Tomar Trust and she's with me now on Red Business. Emma, how are you? Very good, thank you. Tell me a little bit about the Tomar Trust. What does it do? Well, the, Tom- the Tomar Trust is a charitable trust and we support communities uh, across uh, Cork, uh, Clare and Waterford um, with a strong interest in education you know in young people's attainment but rural development a broad range but really at the heart of it is about how do you have a community that is a lovely place to live and if it's a lovely place to live people will still live there continue to live there they'll be happy they'll be healthier uh, and more socially engaged Businesses are scrambling right now to find somewhere for their staff to live and and this is a conundrum. Uh, where are they all going to go? How close can they be to the factory or the office? Mm. Uh, and and the answer isn't obvious. How do we solve that problem? How do we solve? Well, I think we need to start looking at having a master plan for our area, for master plan for Cork, and then a master plan for our communities. Right, the local break it down into smaller smaller uh, groupings. And, and say, OK, well, what is the community that needs to live here? And if they're all young tech workers and all of that and they're coming in from overseas, they probably want to live in the city and they probably want to live in apartments and they might be here for two or three years, right? They're not necessarily here for 10 years. So we don't need to build the creches and the schools that go with them. But then you have others and you might be at Apple and they go, well, actually, yes, we have some mobility of our workforce, but actually we've got other people who are going to be living here forever. And actually, why don't we build a fantastic new uh, development around Knocknahini, for example, that supports our workers and uh, strengthens that local community as well. What are the mistakes that were made in the past and what can we learn from them? I think a huge mistake, and that's one that we're in danger of repeating, is expediency. We need to build houses, and especially when it comes to social and affordable houses, it's on the cheapest land. So we put it on the marginal land, up on the hill, away from the transport, away from the shops, away from services, and all those type of things. And therefore, you then marginalise and isolate a community, right? And that is a huge problem. And then the second problem we do is we concentrate it being all social housing, for example. So if you're in, if you're from young, from Knocknahini, for example, and you do well, so you don't qualify for social housing, you can't live in Knocknahini anymore because it's only social housing at the moment. You have to move out of your community, and that's wrong, right? We should actually be trying to keep communities together, and they should be mixed income, mixed ages, um, mixed everything. It, that's how it always used to be. So take your traditional Irish town. You mm. had everybody from the 110-year-old to the newborn baby yeah. all living in close proximity to each other. And it had the stresses that had all those groups together, but at the same time, it was a proper community. Yeah. Have we lost that? Yeah, well, we're in danger when we build it, that we build it out of it, right? So we don't build a natural community. Right. So a natural community is more likely to be more resilient. And when if you look 50 years down the road, right, think about the last 50 years and how much has changed. Resilience is probably the one thing that we need both of ourselves and of our communities. And if we have a resilient community, it is a mixture of different people because then you have the different strengths, right? Different ages. You learn from older people. You learn from younger people. 
those are natural communities and they're more likely to be vibrant places. If we are, if we're all mono, all of the same uh, income, all of the same type of jobs, we'll all think in the same way. And that's, as we all know, is actually a really dangerous space to be. You, you mentioned Nakhnihini uh, as being one example. On the other side, where the number two bus or the 202, as it is nowadays, goes down to the other side, where I would have grown up in Black Rock and Ballant Temple. All that's happened there is that there is a changing of the guard, that all those houses that had been lived in by my parents' generation are now being bought by people of my generation and moving their kids back in. So there is there is an example of how it can be cyclical. Yeah. And, and that's not a bad thing either. No. But that's in the private rented sector. And yeah. the private housing sector as opposed to the public sector. Yeah, and it's also just about how we build estates. You know, especially when we're doing new builds, right? And we're building, you know, the 400 houses or the 200 houses or anything like that. If they're all three or four bedroom houses and there's no room for the older people, there's no room for single people. I mean, close to 50% of people who are on the social housing list are single people. So we don't have units for single people. We build always for families. So when you're young and when you're old, you often need a one bedroom place, right? We just need to build that into our thinking and but not that, just be... You, you buy a house for life, you live in it and you go to the But you don't really. But you don't really, is the, is the honest thing. I thought that and I just think of all the numbers of houses I've actually lived in and you might live them for 10 or 20 years, but it's not necessarily for life. The population of Cork City is due to grow, uh, it's due to more than double by yeah, 2050. Huge. So there's going to be a lot of building in the next couple of years. Not enough now, hence why we have a crisis. Then we'll have too many. Like we, we've had a housing crisis where we had too many houses, now we don't have enough. Could the next crisis be we don't have the right type of house? I think you end up with creating bad communities, bad neighbourhoods. I mean, but the other thing is, is look at Cork, right? Fabulous city, absolutely beautiful city. And look at the amount of dereliction in the city centre. Look at the number of empty uh, spaces above shops. Look at where there are what they call, you could do sliver developments, small, little bit spaces, but actually you can build cooperative housing. I mean, there's so many innovative ideas that through the Cork Evolves um, series, we heard from people in the UK, in Hamburg, all over the place, who were doing really interesting things in both regenerating and developing cities, right? And I think the challenge for us here is we always go to uh, green spaces and we create a sprawl. And as someone says, it's fine, balancolic, it's 20 minutes to the city, you know, that's great. But that's today. But after you've got, you know, several thousand houses in Middleton and Balancolic and everywhere else built, it's not going to be 20 minutes to the city, it's going to be an hour. So what can businesses do to to join that journey? Do, do they campaign? Do they get involved in fixing up the space above the shop, making that habitable again? I think if we could encourage the small shop owners to open up the tops of their, to, to their um, shops and make them into apartments, I think that would be fabulous. We should be encouraging them to actually look at the upkeep of their street and having pride of place. Look at Barrack Street. My God, what a beautiful street. What an incredible place. Why is that happening? I think we should be getting businesses to, to identify where there are plots of land, where there are derelict properties, properties in Nama, which probably are going to be there for empty for a long time. People need to get angry about that and go, no, you're ruining our city and you're ruining our streetscape and you're making our shops not so, so good. So people need to get angry about that. But equally, I think what we need, and I suppose why we did the Cork Evolves thing, was to try and go... Uh, Planners, architects, developers, you know, there are so many people out there in Cork who have got great ideas. You know, they can Google other ideas from other countries. Don't sit back and watch it happen. Actually get up and say, actually, no, I can contribute. And 
you know, I really want this city for my children to be, you know, like a smart city. I want it to be a green city. I want it to be a livable city. I want it to be an affordable city. Like Cork is a fabulous city still. But if we allow it to just develop in an ad hoc way without a master plan, we're in danger of um, ruining, ruining it. OK, Emmeline Spallin of the Tomar Trust. Thank you so much for joining us on Red Business. Thank you. My thanks to all of my guests. Don't forget you can download the entire series from iTunes or from redfm.ie. Neil Hennessy produced, and we'll catch you on the next one. Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast.